Hello friends, welcome or welcome back. You're listening to Strictly Crime with me, Alex. Hey guys, it's time for a new episode. As always, I hope you're doing great this week. The past week for me was a little busy. My little brother started school, eighth grade. So I've been getting that situated, making sure he has a good first week. But I was able to get quite a bit of research done for this case. Um, And I'm pretty excited because it is pretty much solved at this point, um, but it went unsolved for over 10 years. And this was not solved until May, a couple months ago. So um, there was quite a lot of new things happening in the case, and I'm really excited to share. Because this was one of the cases that I first heard about when I started listening to True Crime a couple years ago. And it totally blew my mind. It was totally crazy. And so... I'm glad that the perpetrator is finally taken in and will be prosecuted. This is the disappearance and murder of Brittany Drexel. And if you want to hear about her amazing life and who she was, just keep listening. Brittany Drexel was born in Rochester, New York on October 7th, 1991 to John Kayaglu, who was of Turkish descent, and her mother, Dawn. The two were teens, so they they were not married. Um, And shortly after Brittany was born, Dawn actually married Chad Drexel, which is where she got her last name, and he adopted her at that time. After Chad's military service ended, the family lived in the Rochester suburb of Chile. Brittany Drexel was born with persistent hyperplastic primary vitreous in her right eye, and this actually required several surgeries, and it rendered the eye blind, so she wore contact lenses that gave her a distinct appearance. She had these beautiful, big eyes. She was such a beautiful girl. She definitely dressed in the time period of the early 2000s, that sort of big hair and she was just really cute and she seemed like somewhat a popular girl she seemed very friendly and unfortunately she took her parents divorce pretty hard and at the time was prescribed antidepressants her mom dawn said i really don't know what state of mind she's in right now which is very unfortunate. Um, I could not imagine growing up your whole life with parents and then having them split and being confused on why they aren't in love anymore or what's going on, you know what I mean? Now, in April of 2009, Brittany asked her mom if she could go to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina over spring break. And she wanted to go with her boyfriend and some friends. Brittany's mother, Dawn, totally refused this. She did not know who the other teenagers were, and there were no accompanying adults on the trip, and she was just having a weird feeling that something bad was going to happen. She said, no, you cannot go, Um, and I would do the same. I would not let my teenager go out of the state 
with just some other teens. It would totally freak me out. So I can totally understand where her mom was coming from. But this led to an argument because, you know, Brittany at that time was a teenager and so she wanted freedom and she just wanted to hang out with her friends and she was mad at her mom. And the argument between them lasted for several days up until April 22nd. And Brittany asked if she could go to a friend's house for a day or two to calm down. She actually um, apologized to her mom for everything that was happening and Dawn agreed. She said, I'm fine with you going to your friend's house and spending a couple days there, but I am not okay with you going to Myrtle Beach. You know what I mean? So that day, Brittany left for South Carolina without telling her mom. So she lied and said she was going to a friend's house, but in reality, she was going to a different state, which is, in my opinion, a little dangerous, but she was young and young people are vulnerable and sometimes don't make the best decisions. And so she went with her friends. About three days into the trip after her and her group had arrived and they were staying at the Bar Harbor Hotel in Myrtle Beach, Brittany called her mom once during the daytime and told her mom that she was at the beach and her mom was not alarmed because they had somewhat of a beach near the Lake Ontario shoreline. So she assumed that that's where Brittany was. Um, A trip there seemed plausible because the temperature in Rochester area had reached 83 degrees Fahrenheit in the area that day. On the night of April 25th, 2009, according to investigators, Brittany went to meet a friend from her hometown and a few of his buddies at the Blue Water Resort on Ocean Boulevard, which is the main kind of strip, if you will, of downtown Myrtle Beach. The group she traveled with said they had lost contact with Brittany approximately 8 p.m. It was said that Brittany was not having the best time, you know, because she kind of felt a little left out in a way. The girls didn't seem like inviting very much. You know, they already had their little click and so she kind of felt left out. So she decided to go say hi for a second to these boys and she was going to grab a pair of flip-flops that she had left there. Now she only stayed for about 15 minutes and left because she was supposed to go return these shorts that she had borrowed from one of the girls that she came with. Now, security camera images released later showed her leaving the Blue Water Resort alone at 8.45 p.m. She's texted her boyfriend, uh, 19-year-old John Greco, who was back in Rochester, and she told him that she was walking back to where she and the other girls were staying at the Bar Harbor Motel about a mile and a half away. Then Brittany stopped texting back. After checking in with some of the people that she was on vacation with, John, who later told CBS News he had known Brittany was going on this trip, but he never thought anything bad could happen in three days. 
And when he could not get a hold of Brittany anymore, he knew something was wrong because he was texting her constantly the entire trip. Um, he wasn't able to go for some reason. And so they had been texting back and forth because she felt a little bit left out. She probably had a little bit more contact with him to try to make her feel better and things. And when she was not texting back, he knew something was wrong. And after a period of time of not being able to get a hold of her, he texted Dawn, her mother. And he told Dawn that her daughter was in Myrtle Beach and that neither he nor her friends could get a hold of her. In the days immediately following her disappearance, Dawn and Chad Drexel, who had adopted Brittany when he married Dawn, went down to Myrtle Beach to pass out missing flyers and look for themselves. And Chad told People in 2016, quote, I did everything I could to try to find her. I'm the only father she has ever known, and we were very close, unquote. And that is honestly awesome because even though they weren't linked biologically, he still thought of her as a daughter and he still loved her and he was going to do everything he could to figure out where she is. Now, John Greco, who also went to Myrtle Beach during that first week, told ABC News that he had taken a break from work and school to focus on searching for her. So he went down there with the family to make sure that his girlfriend was okay, which is really amazing. He said, quote, my whole life in Rochester had Brittany involved with it. And he noted that they had been dating off and on for about two and a half years. He also said, quote, it's kind of hard to be in Rochester without Brittany. He described her as a really strong-headed person, and he did not think that she had run away or harmed herself, which is a big indication. You know, your family and your loved ones know you best, so obviously they were immediately worried because they knew Brittany wasn't going to do anything to herself or run away. Myrtle Beach police began looking for Brittany Drexel the following morning. They located the security footage from the Blue Water Resort and found the friends that she visited that day. The last person who had reportedly seen her before she left was Peter Browitz, 20-year-old nightclub promoter who Brittany had known from the Rochester area, and he was also down in Myrtle Beach. They had apparently met at a nightclub the night before, and after police interviewed Browitz and the men that were with him in the hotel room, they said that no one had been ruled in or out, and they did not have any persons of interest at that point. They didn't think these guys really had anything to do with it. But something to note, and that maybe is worth mentioning, is that the boys checked out of their hotel room at 2 a.m. on this night. They left abruptly and apparently left some of their belongings as well. So this was about, what, six hours after Brittany had last been seen or heard of. So that is a little strange, but they were ruled out as suspects. Dawn, Brittany's mother, said, quote, I think something has happened to her. I just have a funny feeling it's not like her to not call her family, unquote. And I totally agree, especially in another state 
being very young, I'm sure if something bad happens, you're going to want to go to your parents or the people that you trust and love. So something bad happened. Now, Dawn and Brittany's dad, Chad Drexel, both tried to call and text her. Their message remained unanswered, and Dawn told people she first called the Rochester police because she did not know what to do. She didn't know what was going on. Brittany was from Rochester, so she called them, and they told her you should probably go down to Myrtle Beach and get a report there because that's where she went missing. So that's where a lot of people will be able to see missing posters and all of that. So according to the Myrtle Beach Police Department, the incident report was filed April 26th and Dawn then had a family friend stationed at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina. And so she drove down to Myrtle Beach And after touching base with Brittany's friends, she called the cops around 5 a.m. And she was entered into the National Crime Information Center as missing at 6.30 a.m. the next day. Which is pretty quickly. I mean, that's how you can tell that her parents and friends loved her because they are moving quick. The first 48 hours, as we know, are the most important. So it's amazing that her mother was able to go down there and try to figure out what was going on. Investigators later shared that the last known ping from Brittany's cell phone was at around midnight from a tower near South Santee River between McClellanville and Georgetown, South Carolina, which is a little strange. Um, She doesn't have a car. So how would she be able to get out there? Why was her phone ping? Police searched the hotel room, finding all of her clothes that she had packed, but they did not find her purse or her cell phone. And the network ping that was tracked was about 50 to 60 miles south of Myrtle Beach, which is, I mean, that's quite a bit of time. In an area along U.S. Route 17 near the Georgetown-Charleston County line, the pings had stopped abruptly early on the morning of April 26th, and areas near there and around Myrtle Beach, where a body might have been disposed of, were also searched for 11 days. As the winter holidays approached in 2009, Dawn told WMBF news quote christmas was one of britney's favorite holidays you know just decorating making cookies and things like that you know she enjoyed that right now as it looks she's not going to be here for that and that's going to be very hard unquote and that makes me like kind of choked up and oh i cannot imagine losing my my daughter or my son i mean I don't know how parents are able to cope with something like that. I'm sure that she was really fighting to stay strong and hopefully just be strong for Brittany because she just wanted her daughter home and I could not imagine how heartbreaking and really scary this whole situation was. I mean, her daughter was, you know, her worst fears pretty much came true. Her daughter lied to her and then went to another state alone, pretty much, and then went missing. And so she is probably 
extremely frightened by this whole thing. She had hoped that a People magazine cover featuring Brittany and several other missing young people would help kind of keep awareness of her case. She said, quote, anything that can put her name and face out there, it can bring more leads. And I agree. That is so amazing that she's working diligently to get Brittany's name out there. And she just wanted her daughter found. Talking to ABC News as the one-year anniversary approached, she remembered that Brittany, the oldest of three, as a sunny, outgoing girl who'd sing and impersonate Lion King characters, and when she got older, she loved makeup and clothes, and she just wanted to be with her friends a lot, like, you know, most teens, and she just seemed like all around just a normal, average, fun teenage girl. Now, Dawn and Peter Browitz had several confrontations on the television show Dr. Phil. And Browitz, during this time, often expressed frustration at the damage to his reputation. Dawn, who had driven down to Myrtle Beach the day after her daughter's disappearance, eventually relocated there permanently to be close to where Brittany had last been seen and so she could better monitor the progress of the investigation. I can understand why Peter would be a little bit upset because now his name is forever tied with this case and obviously he was very young at the time and young people do dumb things. We know this and it was later confirmed that he did nothing. He really did not do anything to her. And so I can understand his frustration, but you have to get every lead out of the way, especially when you don't have a body. You really, really, really have to search for answers. And so I can understand. In early April 2010, Myrtle Beach police first told their local news station that they had identified a few people of interest. And as well as a location of interest, they were investigating further. And one of the detectives said, quote, it's just a matter of time now before everything gets out and put together. And we can say, yes, here's a solid arrest, unquote. And that was Detective Dorio who told the station that. Brittany Drexel did leave the Myrtle Beach area is what they know because her phone pinged somewhere else about 60 miles away. Now, South Carolina FBI special agent in charge David Thomas said at a news conference in McClellanville, quote, we believe she traveled to this area around McClellanville in North Charleston, South Georgetown area, and we believe she was killed after that, unquote, which is really scary. Um, it kind of seems like they are hinting at that maybe she was abducted or kidnapped of the sort. Georgetown County investigator Chris Bailey, he was a part of a multi-jurisdictional task force with Dorio and others, and he said that he received a tip in December of 2009 
that set their current course in motion. He couldn't go into a lot of detail, but said some new evidence was allowing for more search warrants and polygraph tests and was kind of getting the ball rolling again. In 2011, police searched an apartment in Georgetown County, but that effort did not come out with any new information that helped identify a suspect. In a 2014 newspaper article on the cave's fifth anniversary, Dawn kind of set up a theory that she kind of believed she thinks that maybe her daughter was trafficked, but the Myrtle, Myrtle Beach police did not really believe this was a strong possibility due to their claim of little or no trafficking taking place in their jurisdiction, which, I mean okay, that's not really a real reason. Anything can happen anywhere. It doesn't matter. Like, you could be the safest town, the safest neighborhood, and you could still be robbed and murdered. Like, it's not not possible, you know? Anything can happen. A 2019 report conducted by the South Carolina Human Trafficking Task Force rated Horry County, I believe that's how you say it, as the number one county in South Carolina for reported human trafficking victims. So there you go, right there. I mean, anything can happen, even if it's not in your county. People from the other county that is rated number one for human trafficking can come to another county and traffic victims. You know, it's totally plausible. She was a very beautiful woman, young girl, and that's who they go after. So I personally think that could have been a plausible outcome. And in June 2016, the FBI actually held a news conference and they were talking about how they believed that Brittany Drexel had been murdered shortly after her disappearance. They think she had been abducted by Myrtle Beach, from Myrtle Beach, sorry, and taken somewhere in the vicinity of Georgetown, near where her cell phone was pinging. And that was before being killed, of course. The Bureau put up a $25,000 reward for information leading to the resolution of the case. Two months later, the Charleston Post and Coroner reported two new developments from a bond hearing for Timothy Deshaun Taylor, who was an inmate then serving time in a state prison on a different charge that's really unrelated, but FBI agent Jarek Munoz testified that earlier that year, Daquan Brown, another South Carolina inmate who had been serving a 25-year sentence for manslaughter, told them that in 2009, shortly after Drexel disappeared, he had gone to visit a McClellanville stash house, is what he called it, to give money to Taylor's father. As he walked through the house, Brown told the investigator he saw Taylor sexually assaulting Drexel with others present. He continued to the backyard where he found Sean and made his payment. As they talked, Drexel ran from the house but was soon recaptured. Brown said he had saw Taylor pistol whip Brittany Drexel and then take her back inside. 
He then heard two gunshots, which he assumed were the sound of the young woman being killed. Brown claims to have seen a wrapped body being removed from the house and then being dumped in one of the many alligator ponds in the area. And this was really huge when this came out. Um, A lot of people thought that this could have been plausible. Brown's statement to investigators was partially collaborated by information received from another informant who was not identified, but was described as also being incarcerated at the Georgetown County Jail at the time. And according to the second inmate, Taylor had picked up Drexel in the Myrtle Beach area and taken her to McClellanville, where he showed her off to friends and tried to sell her to them for trafficking purposes. Brown said that when the case drew heavy media attention, Taylor decided to kill Brittany to avoid arrest. And the bond hearing, which, in my opinion, you can't trust other inmates, like, their stories too much. You can always look into it. But, of course, he is serving time on an unrelated charge, right? So, if he can say, oh, I know who killed Brittany Drexel, which is a huge national frenzy, you know, where people are trying to do everything they can to figure out what happened to her. If he says, oh, well, I know some information, but you got to reduce my charges, you know, that happens quite a bit. So, he could have been just saying this, you know, just to get out of some time. Well, the bond hearing had been held after Taylor's arrest on a federal indictment for interfering in interstate commerce by threat or violence, a charge stemming from his role as the getaway driver in a 2011 robbery of a McDonald's in Mount Pleasant. Unusually, he had already been convicted for his involvement in the crime in state court and had been sentenced to probation, which he had finished by the time of the federal charges. Taylor's lawyer called the new charge a squeeze based on nothing more than a statement of two jailed informants. His mother called them craziness since she believed that her son and husband could never commit such a crime. And yeah, it it definitely could have just been a statement from two jail informants. That totally makes sense. Um, That happens a lot because other people want to get their charges dropped or lessened or whatever, or just want to throw someone under the bus, maybe for what they did. But yeah, I, I don't know that I find this totally plausible. Like you throw her in an alligator pond. That's a little crazy. I mean, you would think bones would wash up or something. I don't, I don't know much about alligators, but they're just going to eat a whole human and leave no evidence behind. I don't know. In March 2017, investigators conducted a new search, which was three days long, and they went ahead and searched some woods in an open field in Georgetown, South Carolina. And they did have a canine unit and some excavating equipment. 
there was an FBI supervisory agent, Don Wood, and he told the Charleston Post, quote, we're not going to discuss what we found and what we didn't find, but I'm confident in telling you that the investigation was advanced. We made strides in bringing those responsible for Brittany's death to justice, unquote, which makes you think back then they had some sort of lead. But this was in 2017. In June 2017, a couple months later, as a part of his plea bargain negotiations, Taylor took a lie detector test. Some answers to the polygraph were labeled deceptive by the FBI. According to the FBI, their sentencing rules, the only possible knowledge of the case to which Taylor admitted involved having overheard part of an argument between two people over who had Drexel's cell phone, a discussion that he said had made him suspicious. But when Taylor was connected to the lie detector and asked whether he had seen her after her disappearance or if he knew who was involved, the examiner determined he was not being truthful. Under the plea agreement, he would thus face at least 10 years in prison for his role in the 2011 robbery. After reviewing the results with Taylor's lawyer, the examiner attempted to continue, but Taylor was too angry to do so, and the government recommended the minimum sentence. So, like I've said in multiple of my episodes, Polygraph tests are very hit or miss. Um, I had just listened to a morbid episode last night and, um, oh my gosh, I forget, Kelly Conway, I think it was, or Cochran, Kelly Cochran, they just posted it. And one of the people on there, they both, her, Kelly Cochran and her husband both refused lie detector tests and it made them look more guilty. So I can understand why people would definitely not want to take one, but it's going to make you look a little more guilty. I have super bad anxiety and I get nervous very easily, very red-faced, really easy. I don't know what I would do in that situation. Um, I just feel like a lie detector test for me would do the opposite, you know? So I just... To me, I don't really hold a lie detector test really plausible. I mean, it's not even admissible in court. So, I don't know. Just by that, he, I guess he took this plea deal. So, now before the sentencing hearing was scheduled, he was actually found to have violated the terms of his bail and was held in Charleston County Jail. In August, presiding federal district judge David Norton, he ordered Taylor's bail to be reinstated on the condition that he remain on house rest until the U.S. Supreme Court decided the case of Gamble v. United States, a constitutional challenge to the dual sovereignty doctrine, which allowed separate state and federal prosecutions for the same criminal offense. In June 2019, the Supreme Court decided gamble in favor of the government upholding dual sovereignty and allowing the federal government to proceed with its case against Taylor. 
About six months later, he was sentenced to time served 319 days after a guilty plea forced by his similar disposition in state court. In February of 2019, um, a little bit earlier, Brown gave a telephone interview to Rochester station WHEC-TV from McCormick Correctional Institution, which is where he was incarcerated. He said that he had saw Brittany Drexel four times after her disappearance. In addition to the first encounter, he said that he had seen her again a month later, and it was at that time that she was apparently killed. He said he had saw Brittany being sexually assaulted by a group of 8 to 12 young men at the McClellanville Stash House on April 27th, which was two days after her disappearance. He said he did not recognize her at the time, but realized who she was a month later when some publicity arose surrounding the case. Brown's second encounter with her came a few days later, and this was the event that he had described to the FBI with gunshots inside the building and a body being carried out in a rug. Brown claimed his third encounter was five days later when he had saw Drexel on a lightly traveled dirt road near his cousin's residence in Jacksonboro, 80 miles south of McClellanville. He, Brown, claimed to have seen her for the last time in late May, once again on his cousin's property while visiting another friend. In a wooded area at the rear of the property, Brown claimed to have witnessed Brittany Drexel being murdered by a man whom Brown only knew as, quote, Nate. And he, the, the Nate guy, had shot her twice with a double-barreled shotgun. Brown and his friends left immediately, fearing being considered accomplices if they had stayed. WHEC-TV was able to partially corroborate Brown's account. His description of the McClellanville stash house matched the station's own reporting from a 2016 visit. His account of the second visit, when he believed that she had been shot, is consistent with his original story that he told the FBI. The station was unable to locate this friend who had went with him, surprisingly, and the cousin who owned the property where she was reportedly murdered is now dead. So, another witness whom Brown had named could also not be found. So, it's really just his word. Brown had filed suit against Minot's Holiday and other federal officials whom he says had identified him publicly or played a role in doing so. By doing so, he says that they gave him a reputation as a snitch, I guess, and put his life in danger. He also said that Taylor has offered a bounty to anyone who kills Brown and that he has already been assaulted. In early May 2022, this is the big drop in this case that pretty much solved it. So, this guy, um, Brown and Taylor, you know, they... I I don't really know what to think of it because what had came out um, in May... 
I just don't think these guys really had something to do with it, even though they could have been familiar with the area and the guys that maybe did it. Um, I just don't think they had anything to do with it personally. Um, like I was saying earlier, they could have just wanted credit or they wanted lesser times, um, being incarcerated and things, but in May 2022, a couple months ago, Raymond Moody, who was is 62, a registered sex offender, turned himself in to the Georgetown County Sheriff's Office on the basis of an obstruction of justice charge. Now, Moody is on the South Carolina State Law Enforcement Division Sex Offender Registry for convictions in 1983 in California for rape by force kidnapping and lewd actions and sodomy with a child under 14 which is disgusting i mean that is just so bad and um he was released from prison in 2004 after serving 20 and a half years of a 40-year sentence. The California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation confirmed to the WMBF News that after he moved to South Carolina, his supervised parole ended in 2007, only a couple years before Brittany Drexel would be pretty much whisked away into the night. Now, on this sex offender registry, um, the site that they have, there's also a, a citation for failure to register in South Carolina from 2010. Police had first considered him a per- person of interest of some sort um, as early as 2012, and he confessed to the crime around May 4th and provided a location of potential remains. The FBI excavated them over the next three days. By May 11th, 2022, human remains were located, buried in the woods off a gated private drive outside Georgetown, about four feet into the ground. They were identified as Brittany Drexel's through DNA and dental records on May 15th. The arrest warrant alleged that she had been strangled and then buried by morning of April 26, 2009. Georgetown County Sheriff's Office, along with Brittany Drexel's family, made the information public the following day, May 16th, along with the announcement of Raymond Moody's arrest. After a 13-year investigation, they announced they had recovered Brittany Drexel's remains and that Raymond Moody was now being charged with murder, criminal sexual conduct, and kidnapping her in her death. The warrant for his arrest was obtained by E! News, and it says that he had caused her death by manual strangulation on or around the night of April 25th, 2009, and the suspect has been jailed with a bail of $100,000 since May 4th on an obstruction to justice charge, but after being charged with murder, was 
remanded without bail, which thank God that he cannot get out on bail. He is in there and will hopefully be in there for a long, long time. Officials said during a press conference that they were first led to the spot on May 4th. The remains were excavated May 7th and positively identified on May 11th. A post-mortem was conducted by Georgetown County Coroner and the remains were finally and rightfully released to the Drexel family. Moody was arrested again and charged with murder kidnapping at first degree, criminal sexual misconduct, and all alleged to have occurred on the day that she disappeared. The charges placed upon him are currently death penalty eligible. He um, sounds like a disgusting human. I mean, I, I just can't fathom just wanting to take someone and hurt them and murder them and bury them. I mean, it is, it's so disgusting and I am just so glad that Brittany's family has her back. You know, not fully, but in spirit and they were able to put her remains to rest because I believe, I'm a big believer in like, if, you know, you're taken or whatever, you're murdered and your body has not been found by your family, and you're in this terrible burial spot, your body can't rest fully. That's personally what I believe. So now that her family has her, they're able to put her in a safe spot where they can visit her and where she's able to fully be at peace. I am really disgusted by him. He's so nasty. And um, they, the time that went by that he was first kind of looked at as a suspect, I mean, so many years later, it's crazy that he just like turned himself in. I mean, I guess it was the guilt from years and years and years of them begging for her back. He finally, I mean, at that point, he was a little bit older and I guess he just was done, done with hiding and um, I guess wanted to get it off his chest. So there was a lot of investigation going on at the time. So I think they, they kind of probably just kind of looked past him a little bit because there was so much going on in this investigation, um, probably especially towards the beginning and stuff like that. So, but you would think because he was a sexual, uh, a sex offender that, um, I would be hopping on that. I mean, you would really think that they would look right towards him because that's kind of his MO was young people. Um, but he is now in jail and will hopefully never get out. I'm not really sure when they are going to sentence him. Um, I didn't find any information on that, but I know that he is in prison. And Dawn, she had a, a note that she had prepared 
And she said, quote, this is a mother's worst nightmare. I am mourning my beautiful daughter today, as I have been for 13 years, but today is bittersweet. We are much closer to the closure and the peace that we have been desperately hoping for. I am slowly processing everything that has come to light. I have not hidden from commenting or discussing Brittany's case she also said that today marks the beginning of a new chapter. The search for Brittany is now a pursuit of Brittany's justice. And that could not have been a more perfect quote. Brittany has not gotten justice yet. She will, and she will be able to be at peace. She was such a beautiful girl. As always, I post my amazing victims that did not deserve to lose their lives on my Instagram, Strictly Crime, so you can see what they looked like, and she was so beautiful, these big, beautiful eyes, and um, it's just so terrible, the circumstances that played in this whole case. I mean, I'm sure Dawn... Um, is relieved in some ways that she has her daughter back. Not fully, but in spirit. And um, I just couldn't, I can't stop thinking about this family. And I hope that they really get everything that they need in giving her justice. And I hope that this guy gets fucking locked up or, you know, he got to live his whole life. Well, I guess he was in jail for a while. He got to live all of these years with knowing that he did this and the guilt just ate away at him for years and years and years until finally he broke. And that is what keeping a secret will do to you, seriously. Um, I'm just glad that he is locked up. And I hope you guys liked learning about Brittany and how amazingly sweet she was, how amazing of a daughter she was. And even though she was a teen and she wasn't perfect, she did not deserve anything like this. Um, she deserved to have a beautiful life. And that was tragically taken away from her. So I'm hoping justice will come to her soon and everything can be finally resolved and her family can get away from, you know, the limelight and just finally be at peace. Thank you guys for listening to this episode about the beautiful Brittany Drexel. If you want to support this podcast, you can click the link in the description and donate, but that is just a suggestion. You can also share my podcast and rate and review it on Apple Podcast. I thank you guys so much for listening, and I will talk to you next episode. See ya!